I'm sorry. Uh, don't sit down yet. I, 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 we're going to have you remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, which is page number 553 in your pew Bibles. And while you're turning there, the children are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of a workout there. Get your thighs burning this morning. Sit down, sit back up. This is the second sermon in this series that I began last week, working through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I've called this sermon series, Joy at the End of the Tether, which comes from the title of one of the commentaries I'm referencing. It's the idea that what we learn from the book of Ecclesiastes is that every single one of us as created beings have limitations. We, have, we are confined in certain ways. We are constrained in certain ways. But that should lead not to despair or nihilism, but to joy. So that's what I'm trying to sort of explain as we work through this uh, book and through these sermons. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 11, and this morning I'll be reading verses 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes during these few moments together and enable us to behold wonderful things from this, your word. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I do want to say a few things by way of review, and that's because some of you would not have been here last week, and it was just the it was the first sermon in this series, and so I gave it an extended review. I won't go through all of that, but I'll hit a couple of high points. And also, since this is a new series, and for many people you won't be familiar at all with the book of Ecclesiastes. And so to reiterate this and to say it again, some of these things about this book hopefully will be helpful in your understanding of this Old Testament book. I was talking to somebody this week at the place where I work out, the little fitness center thing, and, um, uh, and he was uh, quite unfamiliar with the book of Ecclesiastes. So I'm sure that many are as well. It was written by Solomon. There are like lots of books in the Bible. There's some debate about that. But, but the traditional uh, authorship uh, goes to Solomon, who was son of David and king over Israel, which is what we read about in verse 1. He reigned about 1,000 B.C. over Israel, which that is referred to as the golden years of Israel's history. Solomon also wrote the book of Proverbs. He also wrote the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, as it's sometimes called. And this book, Ecclesiastes, is in the wisdom literature section of the Bible. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Those are the, the writings 
the, the wisdom literature section of your Bible. Ecclesiastes means assembly or gathering. Uh, it's a gathering of thoughts that we have here about ultimate meaning, about the purpose of life. And also, um, this could refer to, or the, the, the title Ecclesiastes could uh, refer to one who speaks to a gathering, like a preacher, which he refers to himself here as the preacher. The book of Ecclesiastes is quite different. From your old other books of the Bible, it's not a letter to a group of Christians somewhere. It's not history. It is not Proverbs. It's not Psalms. It's not a recording of prophecies. It is a gathering of thoughts about the ultimate meaning of life. The purpose of life. And as I referenced already, he refers to himself as the preacher. Maybe because he's delivering wisdom here. He, it may be because of his standing, his office as king. And so he's the preacher. And the short way to say this is that Ecclesiastes is old man Solomon's letter to his 18-year-old self. It's written at the end of Solomon's life in that sense. After Solomon had repented of his sin, which I won't go into the detail. I went into that a little bit last week. But the short of it is Solomon let his commitment to the Lord slip. He started strong. In his commitment to the Lord, but then he backslid or he veered off course. He went on a detour. Uh, and I believe Ecclesiastes is, in a sense, his memoir after his repentance. But I don't want you to think that Solomon is just this grumpy old guy who's, who's telling everybody, listen, just do your duty. Just fear God. Do what's right. Whether your heart's in it or not, just do what's right. No, not at all. What I'm hoping during these sermons is to help you see that learning to live in light of what Ecclesiastes teaches actually leads not to despair or nihilism, but to joy. Which is, again, why I've called it joy at the end of the tether. Because when you're tethered, you are limited. You're constrained, confined. And that's what Ecclesiastes teaches, is that we have limitations. We all die. Ecclesiastes says that over and over again. We will all die. What we do in this life isn't nearly as impressive or long-lasting as what we thought it was going to be. And what I want you to see is that coming to grips with that is actually liberating. There's great freedom in that idea. It can make you laugh a little bit more. Enjoy your days a little bit more. Be a little more lighthearted. Again, that idea can lead to deep joy. The bottom line sort of summary message of the book is that the key to this joy is to reflect on the greatness of God and the smallness of man. That's my, my, my summary, essentially, of what Ecclesiastes teaches. The key to joy is to reflect on the greatness of God and the smallness of man. To reflect on the eternality of the, the power, the majesty of God, as we said it a few minutes ago when we were talking about, when we were reciting what it is that we believe about God. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. We reflect on that, and then we also remember our limitations. And when we accept those limitations that we have and live in light of our tetheredness, it actually is freeing, it's liberating, and it can lead to great joy. Now, last week... I looked at verses 1 through 11, and, and this word vanity appeared over and over again, and I defined vanity last week. 
It's the idea of just a vapor, a puff of smoke, a, a, a little breeze, a mist. It means short-lived, but it also means unsubstantial, lacking weight, unsatisfying. Not that what we experience in this life um, never gives you any satisfaction. No, it, it does. But it but it's short lived and and it has to be repeated. It, it doesn't it, it um it, it fades away. And then again, this this is important for me to say at this point because this idea of vanity it shows up again and again throughout this book. And so we need to have an idea of what that word means. Now in chapter two that Lord willing will look at next week, what you're going to see is that Solomon kind of launches into a life of experimentation where he, he seeks to find satisfaction in pleasure and in accomplishments and so forth and so on. But before that, he experiments with wisdom and knowledge. That's what we're looking at today. And what the conclusion, the conclusion that Solomon draws from this pursuit of wisdom and this pursuit of knowledge and understanding, his conclusion is that wisdom and knowledge itself is vain because life is inscrutable. You just can't understand it. Can't figure it out. It's impossible to make perfect sense of. And so I've called this morning's sermon the limits of human wisdom. And I want to point out three things from this passage about wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. First of all, understanding is sought. It's something we seek after. Understanding is, is sought. It is inherent, inherent in man to want to know why, to want to figure things out, to want to know how to fix things. And so you see that happening here in verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And then verse 13, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So Solomon tells us what he's all about here. He's on a quest. He sets off on, sets off on a quest to understand. He's, he's got an agenda to, to figure out life. This is what it means to be human, really. And only, only, only humans try to figure things out. Your dog is just happy that you feed him or her. Your cat likes the food but isn't happy either way, right? <laughs> but only humans try to figure out life and try to understand why things work the way they do. Only man seeks to understand why things are the way they are. And this fact teaches us or reminds us that as created beings, humans, we are created in the image of God, which is why we want to know, why we want to understand, why we want to figure things out, because we're made in God's image. It's why we're not comfortable in a world that's broken. It's why we're dissatisfied and trying to figure things out in this sin-marred world and trying to fix things and straighten things out. Because to be made in the image of God means that deep down, truly deep down, we know that this world is not right and we want to understand why. And we want to fix it. And, this, and that's why we're no different from Solomon in that we want to set out on this 
quest to understanding and, to, to, and to, toward wisdom, to understand why things are the way they are. So that's my first point. Understanding is sought. It's what we seek after. Second, understanding is impossible. Understanding is impossible. And because understanding is impossible, being fixated on it, being obsessed with understanding and getting answers, is it's just an exasperating task, which is what Solomon says here. Verse 13, the second half of verse 13, he says, It is an unha- unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, this seeking after wisdom. He says in verse 14, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. The image here that he gives is that of striving after wind. It's the idea of trying to corral wind to, to, to keep it pinned in in some way. And of course, we all know that that's something that no one can do. It's impossible. Um, you know, it's just, if, you're, if you're coaching four-year-old soccer, you say, you know, and somebody says, how was practice night? You say, well, it was kind of like herding cats. Well, that's the same way it is with trying to striving for striving after wind. It's trying to it's like trying to herd cats. It's something that just can't be done. It's impossible. It's impossible. You can't corral the wind. You can't herd cats. We can't figure life out. We can't fix it. It doesn't mean that we can't figure some things out, but there's plenty that we can't. The famous uh, atheist Stephen Hawking uh, said one time, we are just an advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet of a very average star, but we can understand the universe. Ecclesiastes says just the opposite. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. We can't even understand ourselves, why we do what we do, much less understand the universe. Not that we don't have any information about the universe, but to be able to understand it. I mean, Hawking was a smart guy, but that's kind of funny. We can't figure life out. We can't fix it. And if we're honest, we would all admit that this truth doesn't really sit well with us. Because most of us, especially modern American people especially educated people and many in this sanctuary right now have multiple advanced degrees. You're a smart crowd. And most of us think that if people will just listen to me and do what I say, then, then everything will be fine. Most of us think that if people just listen to me and do what I say, all the problems will be resolved. Most of us think that if we can just have some diplomacy then that'll, that'll fix everything. It'll solve problems. Most of us think, well, if I can get involved in this situation and be the mediator or, 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 or act as a judge and declare things are going to be a certain way, then all will be well, which certainly is prideful. And it's just false. It isn't going to work. You're not that smart. I'm not that smart. What is crooked cannot be made straight, it says in verse 15. We've got to quit thinking that our voice, our leadership, our 
engagement. Our involvement is the key and will solve the problem. Or we've got to quit thinking that the problems we encounter every day are the result of me not being the leader of this or that or the other or in charge. What is crooked cannot be made straight. But again, and I'm going to have to say this, I'm sure, over and over again as we work through Ecclesiastes. I don't want to let this truth get you down. Again, it's actually liberating because knowing what is crooked cannot be made straight. It should take away your attachment to this world. It should loosen your grip on this world. And that can lead to great peace and joy. You know, when you when you quit trying to fix everything, you're liberated. You know, um, really, the, the vanity of life and the certainty of death, it can change us. It can, be, it can change us from being people who, who want to control life for gain to being people who can receive life as a gift. Understanding this, being, being liberated from trying to make the crooked straight, it, it can change us from being people who want to control life for gain to being people who can receive life as a gift. I had coffee this week with someone, which I'm not much of a coffee drinker, so it usually means either tea or uh, hot chocolate or something. I just don't really like coffee. But, um, so, but anyway, so, but, you know, you had the phrase, we had, had coffee with somebody this week, so you just got to work with me on it. Anyway, I had coffee with somebody this week, uh, and this friend was lamenting the fast pace of life. And he had just, um, earlier in the week, he had looked at a picture of his, of his daughter uh, when she was a baby. And then he looked at a picture of his daughter when, when, when she, in, you know, today, in, in current time. And he, he admitted that he got a little teary-eyed just thinking about how fast it went by and how he actually kind of had a hard time remembering what she was really like at that, at that age. And that he missed the... The age when she would snuggle, you know, and, and cuddle and, and just sit there or fall asleep in his arms. And he asked me the question, he said, you know, how do you deal with that kind of sadness or that fact of life? And my answer, because I'm studying Ecclesiastes these days, was, was simply that all you can do is enjoy the gifts that God gives you every day. It's striving after when to try to hold on to time. Or to try to fix everything uh, and make it go the way I want it to go. Striving after wind, it's, it's impossible. I know John Cougar Mellencamp said, hold on to 16 as long as you can. But you know, what I would say to that is, don't try to hold on to 16 as long as you can. It's impossible. Enjoy 16. Take it as a gift from the Lord. Just yesterday, I was. Um, uh, we had um, the granddaughters at the house with us for a little while, and just two of the granddaughters. And um, 
anyway, so I needed to go to the grocery store to get something. And so Lila wanted to go. And, of course, Libby wanted to go, too. And I said, well, no, I'll just take one of you today. So I'll just take Lila. And next time I'll take Libby. And, well, anyway, so we're going to go to the grocery store. And, of course, we live, you know, about a mile, mile and a half from Publix. I can jump in the car and be there in, you know, three minutes. And I'm in and out. A lot of times it's just a race, you know, try to see how quick I can do it. And um, and then get back home in no time. And, uh, and of course, so I, so I take... Lila with me, and you know, first we got to find her shoes, and uh, and then we got to put her coat on, and then we've got to move the car seat because one car was blocked in from that car to another car, which you, you really need an advanced degree in engineering to be able to get car seats out of cars these days, and then strap it into the other one. So we strap her in there, and and then about that time she realizes, well, I'm hot, and the coat, well, right, we got to unstrap you and take the coat off, and. I was getting a little frustrated. And then I thought, why are you getting frustrated? It's a beautiful day. You're here with your granddaughter. What, what, what good does it do to be in a hurry? The Braves aren't on. You know, I'm not missing anything. Enjoy the day. Enjoy the gift of God. Quit trying to, to, to rush through it or just appreciate this gift from the Lord. Enjoy this time with Lila. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And, and when we will enjoy that and appreciate that and live in light of that, again, it will change us from people who want to control life for gain to people who can receive life as a gift. I mean, Solomon learned this. He's the one who learned that wisdom and knowledge is vain because life is inscrutable. We can't figure it out. We can't fix it. And it should make us all very humble people. It should make us joyful people in the gifts that God gives us every day. Again, when I, when I read this verse, and as I say it again, what is crooked cannot be made straight. I don't want you to be depressed. I don't want you to be cynical. But I do want you to be less infatuated with, this, with what this world has to offer. Ecclesiastes throws a, a bucket of, of cold water, in a sense, on the shine and the luster and the allure of, of this world and enables us just to enjoy the gifts of this world without putting too much stock in this world. And it's just a great truth to keep in mind. Also, just knowing this truth, it helps us relax. It helps us to enjoy these daily gifts of God. which And it keeps us from being demanding. You know, to demand explanations from God for everything. You're just like a little spoiled brat when you do that. And let's be honest, most of the time God doesn't give us super crystal clear explanations for everything that happens in this world. And he's not obligated to give them either. And to, I've said this numerous times and probably already in this pulpit, but when we demand explanations from God, it puts us in the prosecutor's position and puts God on the witness stand. He'll have none of that. He's the prosecutor. We're the ones on the witness stand, not him. He demands that we live by faith, trusting in His promises, 
not by sight and understanding. Another thing I want to say about this truth that what is crooked can, can't be straight, it should really uh, temper our zeal for trying to create heaven on, our, on earth. It, it, should, it should temper our passion for things like social justice. It should temper, temper our busyness uh, in, in, in things like caring for the poor. Not that those types of activities are foolish. They're not. The Bible even encourages us, charges us, challenges us to be involved in them. But what is crooked cannot be made straight. We need to take that to heart and relax a little. I mean, certainly do good. Do the right things. But don't have all of our eggs in the save the world from all sin and evil basket. And then a final thing that I'm going to say about this uh, under this heading is that we may not like it. But God has ordained this crookedness that we see in the world. Verse 13 says, it is an unhappy business that what? God has given. This crookedness that we see in the world is given by the Lord. And, and, and you see it, if we get there, Lord willing, in a few weeks in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 13, it says it even more clearly, explicitly. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what He has made crooked? This verse in chapter 1, verse 13, in the NIV, it's, we read, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. In the King James, it's, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man. God is not wringing his hands over a world that has gone bad. <clears throat> um, in Wilson's commentary we read, whenever some public calamity befalls us, some soupy minister is bound to get some airtime, assuring all that, quote, God's heart was the first to break, end quote. This lets keep God away from responsibility for the bad stuff theology seeks in a superficial way to defend the honor of God. If God is not really here, then we cannot blame him for the problem of evil. And so we reason to ourselves, thinking that man, by his free will, has made something crooked, which God cannot, for various reasons, straighten out. The problem with this idea is that Solomon states it the other way. Man cannot straighten out what God has made crooked. And this fits with what we are studying this week in our Westminster uh, Confession and Westminster Standard Study, uh, but talking about the eternal purpose of God, the providence of God, the sovereignty of God. And we often will think about things that are going on in this world and say God is in control. And that's good and that's true, but I appreciate one of the things that Hunter said this week about that. Maybe a better way to say it is God has spoken. God has spoken. And what He has told us in Ecclesiastes is that not only is it understanding sought, but it's it's impossible. Understanding is is impossible. We can't get it all figured out and we can't fix it. Finally, number three, understanding is paradoxical. Understanding is paradoxical, or maybe you could use the word complicated or complex. 
Because what we see here towards the end of this section is that it can increase our sorrow. Understanding, wisdom, knowledge can increase our sorrow. Verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. You know, the more knowledgeable you are, the more complicated and complex answers seem to be. You know, we all many times appreciate that phrase that ignorance is bliss. It reminds me of a Calvin and Hobbes um, comic strip. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip, Calvin is the little boy and Hobbes is the stuffed, his stuffed tiger who comes to life in his imagination with whom he converses. And in one comic strip, they're leaning against, uh, they're leaning on the ground, leaning against the tree sitting on the ground. And Calvin asked Hobbes, why do you suppose we're here? And Hobbes replied, because we walked here. <laughs> no, no, uh, Calvin retorts. I mean, here on earth. And Hobbes says, because the earth can support life. No, again, Calvin, no, I mean, why are we anywhere? Why do we exist? Hobbes says, because we were born. So frustrated, then Calvin moves to the other side of the tree and lowers his head and says, forget it. To which Hobbes replies, I will. Thank you. <laughs> because... With much wisdom, as it says here, is much vexation. The one who was vexed was Calvin, not Hobbes. The one who thinks deeply about life and who has some insight into life. The one who actually is alive. There are plenty of people in the world who are not vexed by questions like the one Calvin asked. And they would say they're better off before it, for it. But the reality is when you come to Christ, when you become a Christian, you're united to our living Head and you are made alive spiritually. And so you start to think more deeply. You start to see things that you didn't see before. You start to swim against the stream of just regular standard thinking in, in modern man. Again, in some ways the ignorance is, is bliss. But the Bible doesn't want us to be ignorant of madness and folly and to be without any wisdom. What the Bible says here in Ecclesiastes is that we shouldn't put all of our eggs in that basket because even having lots of wisdom, lots of knowledge, lots of understanding, we still can't figure it out and we still can't fix everything. Putting all of our eggs in the wisdom and knowledge basket of this world, what this world has to offer, I mean, it just, it's not worth it. It doesn't last. So we've got to quit living for this world. We've got to quit trying to make our lasting mark in this world. We've got to quit being so demanding and difficult. We've got to quit trying to fix everything. And instead, enjoy what God gives each day as a gift. And be thankful. And die. But the only way you can achieve that thankfulness in light of what upon first reading of Ecclesiastes 
would make you a little bit discouraged or depressed. The only way you can achieve that joy at the end of it is by faith. The only way that you can see this is by being united to Christ. Because we are, we, every single one of us, we are created beings. And we're going to be united to something. We're either going to be united to this world or we are going to be united to Christ. And we're, when we're united to this world, that means all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our security, all of our sources of satisfaction we're trying to get from the world, from the here and the now, or we can, we can be united to Christ. And when we're united to Him, He is our hopes. He is our dreams. He is our security. He is our source of satisfaction. And He's the only one who never fails us. He is the one who does satisfy forever. Every single one of us here, we're sinners separated from God. And our sin is looking to this world for our hopes and dreams and security and satisfaction. And y'all, we, we, that's, what, that's what we have to repent of. And give our lives to Christ Jesus. When we listen to the preacher, as Solomon calls himself here, when we listen to him, we are actually listening to the words of the greatest preacher, the Lord Jesus. Because he is wisdom incarnate. He is the great sage. And to that we say, thanks be to God that the Lord Jesus is able to straighten out what is twisted, what is crooked. First and foremost, you and me. Never perfectly straightened out on this side of heaven, but the beginning of a work by His Spirit in our soul as we're united to Him, which gives us the ability to be thankful and appreciate the gifts that God gives us in this world, not expecting too much from this world. If you've never given your life to Christ, I'd love to chat with you after the service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's natural that we would seek out understanding, but we forget or never realize that understanding is impossible. And not only impossible, it's, it's paradoxical and complicated even. I pray, O oh God, that you would enable each one of us this day to find our lives in Christ Jesus. So that we might be at peace with you and at peace with the fact that what is crooked cannot be made straight. Through Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing as a hymn of response. Hymn number 128, God Moves in a Mysterious Way.
And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. time today to stimulate your thinking. I'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit better and have some conversation. Please feel free to reach out to me in whatever way is comfortable for you. You can come by the office or I'll buy you lunch or just a cup of coffee. Of course, you can always come by on Sunday mornings and we can meet face to face. Our new service time is 9.30 a.m.